Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Form Weekly Podcast. My name is Colin Snell. Big thank you, as always, to Zoe Williams and Rethink Priorities. And also, thank you very, very much to Tier 3 Audio for putting this episode together. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Starting with the philosophy methodology section, we have Adam Shriver's post, Why Neuron Counts Shouldn't Be Used as Proxies for Moral Weight. This is the fourth post in the Moral Weight project sequence. I believe we've covered all three of the other posts in past weeks. And what Adam Shriver's arguing here is that neuron counts shouldn't be used as proxies for moral weight and moral consideration. Neuron counts are sometimes proposed as this sort of proxy due to the relation to intelligence. And an argument, they result in, quote, more valence consciousnesses or being required to reach minimal information capacity for morally relevant cognitive abilities. The author challenges this on three specific bases. First, there are questions as to the extent neurons correlate with intelligence, and intelligence with more moral weight. Secondly, many ways of arguing that more neurons result in more valence consciousness seems incompatible with our current understanding of how the brain is likely to work. There might be other routes to valence consciousness. Third, there is a lack of empirical evidence or strong conceptual arguments on relative differences in neuron counts predicting welfare, relevant functional capacities and capabilities. The author concludes neuron counts should not be used as as a sole proxy for moral weight, but cannot be dismissed entirely either. Rather, neuron counts should be combined with other metrics and overall weighted score that includes information about whether different species have welfare relevant capacities. Moving on to the object-level interventions and review section, the first post is by Rich Armitage. It's called Altruistic Kidney Donation in the UK, My Experience. Around 250 people on the UK kidney waiting list die each year. Donating your kidney via the UK Living Kidney Sharing Scheme can potentially kick off altruistic chains of donor-recipient pairs, i.e. multiple donations sparked by your initial donation. The process overall is 12 to 18 months and involves consultations, tests, surgery, and for the author, three days of hospital recovery. In a week since discharge, most problems have cleared up. They can slowly walk several miles, and they've encountered no serious complications. And now it's time for what seems to be our weekly animal welfare uh, article and summary relating to an animal that lives in the ocean. And this week, we're talking about octopus. Banding together to ban Octopus Farming by Tessa at Ali, or ALI. This summary is by Hamish Doodles and has been lightly edited by Zoe Williams. Quote, approximately 500 billion aquatic animals are farmed annually in high suffering conditions, and there is negligible advocacy aimed at improving their welfare conditions. End quote. Octopus and squid are highly intelligent, but demand for them is growing and so they are likely to be factory farmed in the future. Aquatic Life Institute, or ALI, is a nonprofit trying to prevent this by campaigning to ban octopus farming in countries and regions where it is being considered. Countries like Spain, Mexico, and and collections of states like the EU are all on this list. ALI will, quote, work with corporations on procurement policies banning the purchase of farmed octopus and, quote, support research to compare potential welfare interventions. End quote. So far, ALI has sent some letters to government officials, organized a tweet campaign, planned a couple of protests, run online events, and started the Aquatic Animal Alliance, AAA, coalition. 
the Aquatic Animal Alliance already has over 100 animal protection organizations on board. ALI currently has five welfare concerns for farm octopuses. These are environmental enrichment, feed composition, stock density and space requirements, water quality, and stunning slash slaughter practices. A side note here is that legislation in the state of Washington uh, in the Pacific Northwest, the U.S., uh, had to be introduced to stop people from wrestling octopi because it was such a popular sport. The 1963 World Championship for octopus wrestling was actually held in my hometown. So uh, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, the things that we have to prevent via legislation. And you would think that it, octopi are so smart, people would probably get the hint not to go into their habitats and wrestle them, let alone farm them in horrible conditions. So I appreciate the work that ALI is doing here. Moving on from octopus farming, uh, we have an article called The Death Print of Replacing Beef by Chicken and Insect Meat by its gin. A recent study, Bressler to 2021, estimated that for every 4,000 ton of CO2 emitted today, there will be one extra premature human death before 2100. The post author converts this into human deaths per kilogram of meat produced, based on CO2 emissions for that species and pairs this with the number of animals of that species that need to be slaughtered to produce one kilogram of meat. The author then weighted these estimates by neurons per animal, and their key findings suggest some of the following. Switching from beef to chicken or insect meat reduces climate change, but increases animal suffering significantly, so it might be bad overall because of this. They suggest prioritizing a reduction of chicken meat consumption, and that policymakers stop subsidizing research on insect meat tax meat based on climate change and suffering externalities, and start subsidizing plant-slash-cell-based meat. A significant number of different organizations within effective altruism and the surrounding communities have these organization year-end posts, and also giving recommendations are popular this time of year as well. So the next articles are focused on that sort of area of either giving recommendations or organizational year-end posts. The first of which is 2022 ALLFED Highlights by Ross Tiem, Sonia Cassidy, Denkenberger, and Juan Garcia. These are highlights from the All-Fed in 2022. First is they've submitted four papers to peer review, some of which are now published. They started to develop country-level preparedness and response plans for abrupt sunlight reduction scenarios, and the U.S. plan is completed in this area, which is incredible to hear about. They worked on financial mechanisms for food system interventions, including super pests, climate food finance nexus, and pandemic preparedness. They delivered briefings to several NATO governments and UN agencies on global food security, nuclear winter impacts, policy considerations, and resilience options. And they appeared in major media outlets such as the BBC Future and The Times. Improved internal operations, including registering as a 501c3 nonprofit, was also completed in 2022. And the last two is that Alfed delivered 20 plus presentations and attended over 30 workshops, events, and conferences, and also hired six research associates, four operational roles, five interns, and 42 volunteers. What a what an incredible year for this! Alfed is funding constrained and gratefully appreciates any donations. And any folks who can lend any hands are also welcome. The, he the heightened geopolitical tensions from the Russo-Ukrainian conflict create a time-limited policy window for bringing their research on food system preparedness to the forefront of decision-makers' minds. Xander Davies from Harvard AI Safety has also posted an update on Harvard AI Safety's team and the MIT AI Alignment Group. It's a reflection from the organizer of the student organization's Harvard AI Safety team, or HEIST, and the MIT AI alignment, M-A-I-A. 
Top things that worked according to Xander here was outreach, focusing on technically interested parts of alignment and leveraging informal connections with networks and friend groups. The heist office space, which was well-located and useful for programs and co-working, was also a success. Leadership and facilitators having had direct experience with AI safety research, high-quality scalable weekly reading groups, and significant time expenditure, including most full-time attention from several organizers. Some things that did not work were starting the MIT AIA, programming too late in the semester, leading to poor retention, too much focus on intro programming as well was listed as another thing that did not work. In the future, they plan to set up an office space for MAIA, share infrastructure and resources with other university alignment groups, and improve programming for already engaged students, including opportunities over winter and summer break. They're looking for mentors for junior researchers and students, researchers to visit during retreats or host Q&As, feedbacks, and applicants to their January ML bootcamp, or to roles in the Cambridge-Boston Alignment Initiative. Next, we have Serge H. and Michael Townsend with Why Giving What We Can recommends using expert-led charitable funds. Funds allow donors to give as a community, with expert grant makers and evaluators directing funds as cost-effectively as possible. Advantages include that the fund can learn how much funding an organization needs, provide it when they need it, monitor how it's used, and incentivize them to be even more impactful. It also provides a reliable source of funding for support, excuse me, funding and support for those organizations. Give What We Can recommends most donors give to funds, with the exception of those who have unique donation opportunities that funds can't access, or who believe they can identify more cost-effective opportunities themselves. This can be due to things like substantial expertise or differing values to existing funds. You can find the recommendation list down below in the show notes. The next post we have is by Henry Howard. It's called Why I Gave 12,573 Australian Dollars to Innovations for for Poverty Action. The author gave 50% of their salary to charity last year, with the largest portion to Innovations for Poverty Action. They prioritize this charity because they believe the slow rate of discovery of new effective charities is a bottleneck for EA. That, as an established global development research organization, they probably know more than us. They have a track record of actual research, things like their research kickstart evidence action dispensers for safe water program, and they are also tax deductible in Australia. The next post we have is called The Founders Pledge Climate Fund at Two Years by Jack V.A., Violet, and Louisa underscore S. The Founders Pledge Climate Fund has run for two years and distributed over $10 million U.S. Because the climate space has around $1 trillion per year committed globally, the team believes the best use of marginal donations is to correct existing biases of overall climate philanthropy fill the blind spots, and leverage existing attention on climate. The fund can achieve this more effectively than individual donations, because it can make large grants to allow grantees to start new programs, quickly respond to time-sensitive opportunities, and make catalytic grants to early-stage organizations who don't yet have track records. Examples include substantial increase in growth of grantee clean air task force and significant investments into emerging economies that get less from other funders, Future work will look at where best to focus policy efforts and the impact of the Russo-Ukrainian war, as aforementioned, on possible policy windows is also a significant area of potential leverage and impact. Moving on to the opportunities section for this week, we have an announcement called Apply to Join Rethink Priorities Board of Directors by Abraham Rowe and Kieran Gregg. 
Apply by January 13th to join Rethink Priorities Board of Directors in an unpaid 3 to 10 hours per month or paid 5 to 10 hours per week capacity. These roles are key to helping RP secure its foundation, foundations and scale towards ambitious plans. The next is announcing the Boston, the Cambridge Boston Alignment Initiative, and it's also hiring. The author's TLDR is the following. The Cambridge Boston Alignment Initiative, or CBAI, is a new organization aimed at supporting and accelerating Cambridge and Boston students interested in pursuing careers in AI safety. We're excited about our ongoing work, including running a winter ML bootcamp and are hiring for Cambridge-based roles. Rolling applications priority deadline is December 14th, and that is in order to work with them for the next year. Come Get Malaria With Me by Jay Burtz is the next post. This is a call for a paid opportunity to be part of a malaria vaccine trial in Baltimore from January to early March. The vaccine has a solid chance of being deployed for pregnant women if it passes this challenge trial. It's around 55 hours of commitment if it's in Baltimore or more if you need to travel. And the risk of serious complications is quite low, suggested by doctors and other medical professionals. And the author signed up and knows six others who have expressed serious interest. Get in touch with any questions or to join an Airbnb the author is setting up for. The next article is called Good Futures Initiative Winter Project Internship by R.S. Richardson. The author is TLDR. I'm launching Good Futures Initiative, a winter project internship to sponsor students to take on projects to upskill, test their fit for career aptitudes, or do impactful work over winter break. You can read more on the website and apply in the link listed in the article by December 11th if you're interested. The next article is called Create a Fundraiser with Giving What We Can by Giving What We Can and Grace Adams. This post announced a brand new fundraising page where if you'd like to, you can create a fundraiser for effective charities. You can fill out the form that they have linked, choosing up to three charities or funds from their donate page. The next article we have is called Winter ML Upskilling Camp. This is announcing a winter session ML upskilling camp at Cambridge which means that there's now going to be one happening in Cambridge as well as in Boston, which is super, super cool to hear. And the application for this one specifically is the 11th of December, and it's aimed at people who have no prior experience in ML, but who want to work on AI safety from a technical standpoint and approach. Moving on to community and media. First is one called FYI, CC BY, License for All New Form Content from today, December 1st, announced by Will Bradshaw. From December 1st, all new form content, including comments and short form posts, will be published under a CCBY 4.0 license. This means that others can share and adapt the material for any purpose, including commercial, and is irrevocable. The next article we have is by Lizka, called Effective Giving Subform and Other Updates. Updates from the form team include, they have launched the new Effective Giving Subform, and we're working on other tests and other subforms set by Liska. Next, narrated versions of some posts will be also available quite soon. Next, we have their testing targeted advertising for high impact jobs. And finally, from the dev team, we have the announcement that they fixed a few different bugs uh, that they found in the articles. The next article we have is by Ben Colm, titled Some Notes on Common Challenges, Building EA Orgs. This is a list of the author's observations from talking to and offering advice to several EA orgs. Some of this advice includes the observation that many orgs skew heavily junior, and most managers and managers of managers are in that role for the first time. Another common issue that EA orgs run into, according to Ben Colon, 
is that many leaders feel really isolated. They feel like there's no peers to check in with and slash or they're reluctant to. They would prefer not to do people management is another way of putting this. Ben suggests some of the following solutions. First, creating an EA manager Slack. And they can be let known in the articles, comments, if you're interested in being added. Next is non-EA management and leadership coaches. They haven't found most questions they get in their coaching are EA specific. However, it can still be a really valuable area of improvement. More orgs hire a COO to take over people management from whoever does the vision slash strategy slash fundraising. It's a common form of structuring uh, delineation within traditional corporate structures to have a operations officer. More orgs should be considering splitting management roles into separate people management and technical leadership roles as well. Thank you for those suggestions, Ben. Very, very useful. The next post is announcing a EA storybook for kids by Simon Newstead. It's a free storybook for kids designed to inspire kindness and thoughtfulness. The author is looking for beta readers from the community and links the book free down below at ea4kids.org and is aiming for an early 2023 release date. The next article we have is by Maya D. And it's called, I'm a 22-year-old woman involved in effective altruism. I'm sad, disappointed, and scared. The author discovered effective altruism 14 months ago and has been really involved since. However, they've seen behavior that makes them skeptical and really sad about the community. The detailed cases of unwelcoming acts towards women, including a Bay Area list ranking them, someone booking an EAG one-on-one on the basis of attractiveness, a recent blog post on the topic with nasty comments, and the suicide of Kathy Forth in 2018, who attributed large portions of her suffering to her experiences in the EA and rationality community. They suggest that EAs need to let people know if they see them doing something unwelcoming. Furthermore, as a community, the author and frankly, this team views that no one should ever be shielded from accountability because of status or position. And additionally, we can listen and give compassion to people sharing their personal experiences or emotions, even when strong evidence isn't available. CEA has responded to comments to follow up. They also provide details on specific actions they've taken in response to some of the above and similar situations, and why it isn't always outwardly visible, because the person reporting it, for example, may want to maintain confidentiality, and more visible responses would break that. As a community, we can absolutely do better and we need to do better, so thank you very, very much to MyID for posting this and, and making sure that this conversation continues even though there are some voices of people in the past who have tried to have similar ones not getting ears. It's absolutely critical, and I, like, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for posting that. The next article we have is called Beware Frictions from Altruistic Value Differences by Magnus Vinding. Different values create risks of uncooperative behavior within the A community, such as failing to update on good arguments because they come from the other side, quote-unquote, failing to achieve common moral aims, This can include things like avoiding worst-case outcomes. Failing to compromise or committing harmful acts out of spite and tribalism are additional differing values that can drive uncooperative behavior or examples of that uncooperative behavior. The author suggests mitigating these risks by assuming good intent, looking for positive sum compromises, actively noticing and reducing our tendency to promote slash like our in-group, and validating that the situation is challenging and normal to feel some tension. As a species, we have an ability to cooperate, and that is arguably one of our greatest strengths. So we can absolutely do that better, even with different values. 
They don't need to drive schisms, they can be a point of strength. And finally, we have an article called, Is Headhunting Within EA Appropriate? by Dan Stein. The author works at ID Insight, which has had a number of staff directly approached by headhunters for EA orgs. They question whether headhunting is a good practice within EA or lends to net negative outcomes by hindering high-impact orgs whose staff are headhunted. Top comments argue that headhunting is primarily sharing information about opportunities and that this is a positive effect as it allows individuals to make the best decisions possible. Although there is some pretty fun arguments and disagreements within the comments below. As for the brief FTX section for this week, we have a handful of posts. The first is announcing FTX community response survey. This is announced by Connor McGurk, Willem Sliegers, and David Moss. What this is, it's a form that is an opportunity to let folks know about how you're feeling post FDX crisis. If you're involved in the EA community, knowing how you've responded, how the views has changed, and importantly, what views have not changed about EA is really critical. So it is a really useful way for us to gauge that. So please make sure to fill out that survey down below. The next article is called Sensemaking Around the FTX Catastrophe, a deep dive podcast episode we just released by Spencer G. Clear Thinking Podcast episode discussing, quote, how more than $10 billion of apparent value was lost in a matter of days, the timeline of what happened, deception and confusion related to the event, why this catastrophe took place in the first place, and what this means for communities connected to it. The next article is titled Inside EA Content and Gideon Lewis Krauss's recent New York article. Buy to be stuck inside of mobile. This is a link post and key excerpts from a New Yorker article overviewing how EA has reacted to SBF and the FTX collapse. The article claims that there was an internal Slack channel of EA leaders where a warning that SBF, quote, has a reputation in some circles as someone who regularly breaks the laws to make money was shared right before the collapse. The next article is called List of Past Fraudsters Similar to SBF by Nuno Sempre. It's a spreadsheet and descriptions of 22 qualitatively similar cases to FTX selected from the Wikipedia list of fraudsters. The author's main takeaway was that many salient aspects of FTX has precedent. The incestuous relationship between an exchange and a trading house, Bernie Madoff and Richard Whitley, as well as a philosophical or phil- philanthropic excuse me, component. These are cased by Enoch Duran and Tom Peters, etc., as well as embroiling friends and families in the scheme as well, classic Charlie's Ponzi scheme, or multi-billionaire fraud, or excuse me, or multi-billion dollar fraud, not getting found out for years. These are case examples by Elizabeth Holmes and many others. All of this adds up to mean that a lot of the components of the XCF, or FDX crisis is not unique just to this community, for example. The next article we have is announcing an SBF interview with Tiffany Fong. It was announced by Timothy Chan on the forum. It's a link post to the interview, which the author suggests listening to. Uh, the interview initially came out on the 31st of November, and they also highlight key quotes and suggest that from this and other publicly available information, it seems likely to them that SBF acted as a naive consequentialist. Lastly, for the episode, we have how VCs can avoid being tricked by obvious frauds. I wrote it Krishna on Noah Pinion. It's a link post. It was written by Hayden Belfield. It's a link post to an article by Rohit Krishna, a former hedge fund manager. 
Hayden highlights key excerpts, including one claiming that, quote, this isn't Enron, where you had extremely smart folk hide beautifully constructed fictions in their publicly released financial statements. This is a dumb Enron, where someone, trust me, broed their way to $32 billion valuations. They mentioned that, quote, the list of investors in FTX was a who's who of the investing world. And while, quote, VCs don't really do forensic accounting, unquote, there were still plenty of red flags they should have checked. These are basic things, like if FTX had an accountant, management team, back office, board lent money, money lent to the CEO, or how intertwined FTX and Alamana were. The author has had investments one-tenth the size of what some major investors had in FTX and still require a company audit, with most of these questions taking half an hour max. Seems like from that last article, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in relation to the FTX situation. Uh, so thank you very much to everyone whose articles made it this week and to everyone else who are active on the forums and who show this podcast some love by upvoting us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, Once again, thank you to the team who puts this together. You're all absolutely wonderful. As always, remember that this work is really meaningful, and what we're doing in EA matters. Even though it's not perfect, improving it all the more is definitely a noble cause. So thank you guys very, very much, and I will see you guys next week. Remember to keep it meaningful.